Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. GDI Wives is a monthly bonus episode hosted by Kylie Caldwell that brings relatable stories from the women that train and hunt dogs themselves. These aren't women that just do it because their boyfriends or husbands do it. They do it because they love it and are married to the lifestyle and their dogs. In these episodes, you'll hear what got them into the sport and relatable stories of what it is like figuring it out and learning to train these hunting dogs. Hey everybody, this is Kylie Caldwell and I'm with GDI Wives and tonight we are joined with Miss Christy Anderson. Hey Christy. Hey. How you doing? Good. How about you? I'm doing good. Can't complain. Um, why don't you tell everybody where you are coming from and what kind of dogs you have? Well, I am in northern Utah in a little town called Corinne. Um, if anybody's familiar with the area, we're right close to the Bear River Bird Refuge, and we have two Vizlas. Milo is three, and Comet is just about one. Alrighty, so I've got to ask because you're, I think, my second, yeah, my second person so far that I've interviewed that have Vizlas. So what, tell us the story of how you acquired these two red dogs, we'll call them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that where we got into trouble is um, a pretty funny story. So my husband growing up had two Vizlas and uh, we had a German Shepherd and he decided, you know what, I want to get another Vizla. I'm like, hmm, I'm not quite sure I'm ready for that. And one night um, the liquid courage got flowing and <laughs> um, he said to my daughter, if we got a dog, what would you name it? And she piped off Milo, slicker than slick. And I looked at him and I says, well, now you've done it. We have to get the dog. So we <laughs> went the next morning and picked up this cute little green collared puppy. And their little boy was so cute. He's like, watch out for the green one. He'll make you bleed. So um, Mike's like, that's the one. We're taking him. So he was the only puppy out of the litter of nine that went to a hunting family so his tails not docked they decided not to dock their tails and so he we call him long tail now that's kind of his his code word now that we've got comet but yeah so that's how we got tangled up in this mess <laughs>
I did not. Okay, well, maybe this is stupid of me or ignorant. I did not realize. Well, maybe I just didn't know that. So, like a short hair or a griff or any of the other, I guess some of the other versatile breeds that they dock beachless tails. I did not know that. Yeah, yes, they do. So um, that's when you see pictures of our comet, he is docked. So it's quite a difference in like their style when they're pointing. And like, I don't know, we even discussed with our vet at one point, because Milo, when we first got in, they get so excited and that we wiggle butt, everybody has their wiggle butt at home. But <laughs> with that long tail on Milo, he would rip that tail open and bleed so like I'd have blood splatter down the hallway so we we were worried about that in a sense when he was younger and we talked to the vet about it about having it docked later in life and we just opted not to we just thought you know what we're just gonna roll with it so and I think I think it was a good choice so he's he's got his own style and at least that way too when they're two ridges over I can tell which dog is which <laughs> I was gonna say then you can really tell yeah especially if you you know they're far away because they're the same color. You'll be able to you'll be able to tell them apart by their tail. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So we had a we had our litter this past let's see back in August, and actually one of our GSP pups out of that litter, we did not dock her tail. Um, she was the runt. She was tiny. We were fearful that if we did, you know, she wouldn't make it. And so we actually call her the same. She her, she's known as Longtail. <laughs> and um the owner same thing like we we told him hey it you know it's up to you if you're wanting to do this but as far as you know when they're older it's actually a surgical like amputation that they have to do is what the vet described to us and I'm like oh god that sounds awful and and painful for the dog and um he actually the gentleman that we sold the dog to you know he didn't really he didn't care um they hunt and things like that and trying to get their son involved but he has a buddy that takes they he the buddy has a short hair and that short hair has a long tail and they actually make i don't know what brand or who makes it they make this special like wrap thing to go on the tail so when they're out hunting and stuff it doesn't get too damaged and i'm like how the heck do you get that to stay on first off <laughs> with these dogs yeah for real <laughs> so cool okay that's one thing that i just i one thing i learned today of many things that's i did not know about their tails so that's awesome let's tell the listeners as far as how you got into hunting like were you in a hunting family how did that all kind of transpire and then we'll talk about kind of how you got involved into navda and work our way down that way yeah sure um so I didn't grow up in a hunting family i think when i was younger my dad went deer hunting like once if i remember like the deer hanging on the tree in the backyard and yeah, I wasn't <laughs> familiar with it and of course growing older and like living in a small town and just life gets going and I, so got married got divorced and met my husband now husband and Mike and he took me trap shooting and it was fun and he's been a hunter his whole entire life you know he's trapped since he was little and um just really been involved in it and so here and there, I would like go with him like to the hunting clubs or I'd follow him out and about. But um, it wasn't really until we got the the Vizlas, you know, we really got into it that that's when I started picking it up. I did um, go on a doe hunt in 2015. So I killed a doe then and I had a muzzleloader deer tag in 2016 and I 
let one go, which I should have shot, but that landowner was really nice. He says, there's a really big one out there. You can take him. And I'm all, ooh. So of course I got to eat tag soup on that one. But yeah, so it's just kind of escalated from just years of kind of watching and learning and enjoying being outdoor in nature. And yeah, but the Vizlas have really taken it. The hunting dogs have really taken it to a different level. Gotcha. So as far as, you know, same for me, you know, I, well, I grew up in a hunting family, but didn't start hunting till later on. And, um, you know, and of course, most of the women that I've talked to on this podcast, they've all, it's all been because of a dog, you know, a dog got them involved in it. And then it just kind of escalates from there, like you say, and just kind of explodes almost in a, in a sense. And it's an addiction. So a lot of these women as well have found um, their way into NAVDA, whether it's been years ago or just recently. So tell us how, you know, you got the two pups, like was one of the breeders got you involved. Like how did you hear about NAVDA and, and kind of um, tell us a little bit about your journey through that? Yeah, with NAVDA, just heard about it on a podcast and we wanted training, you know, to get this dog because... We knew he had it in him, but we're like, we don't want to screw this up, which everybody says, and, <laughs> you know, you still end up screwing him up, but um, you learn to work through your mistakes, and, you know, hopefully you're better the next go-round, but, um, yeah, so we reached out to our local chapter here. They had a puppy meet-and-greet, um, and we went down and got to see lots of puppies, and everybody was super nice and helpful, and come out to training and kind of explain it to us and so we started going to that and um yeah it just super like you said it just snowball effect so that's the one great thing about NAVDA is like people with common interests you know you've got the dogs you're you're wanting to train you're trying to you work with conservation it's just a great big circle and it's just a good group of people to be associated with just so everybody knows and as far as where you're located what chapter are you a part of and what uh do you are you in any leadership roles or what um how have you helped in your own chapter as far as you know training days goes and testing what are you are you responsible for anything or well let's see um so with navda we are with the wasatch mountain chapter um we are the only chapter here in utah so unfortunately it's kind of spread out like uh we've got one of our members right now who's gonna spring test his na um and he's like down in the zion national park area so he's clear at the other end of the state so it's kind of hard because training areas um, and grounds are really hard to have. We only we only have like two areas we can really train in. And so it makes it kind of difficult with as wide as our chapter is, as to like meet and stuff. But we try to make it work. But yeah, um, we've been in NAVDA about, well, Milo's three. So three years. Um, Mike, my husband actually got nominated, uh, voted in as the president um, so we're on our second year of that. So I guess you could say I'm the president's wife. So I, I'd have a little bit to do with it. You know, Mike makes all the calls, but I'm here on the sidelines, you know, trying to help. Um, right now I'm working on, we're getting ready to do, of course, like I said, our spring testing in April and we're going to actually, now that COVID's kind of calmed down, we're actually going to try to have our first banquet in a couple years. So that's kind of what I'm 
spearheading right now. So my hands are full with that. But yeah, it's it's a good time and a lot of work goes into it behind the scenes. So it's it's been quite the eye opener being new to NAVDA and yet being able to kind of learn what it takes to put on tests and run them and make all the logistics come together for that. Yeah, and I think you hit a good point without actually saying it for people that don't know and haven't gotten involved yet. It's based on all volunteers. So people are appointed these positions within the chapter and it's all strictly because you love it. You love the dogs. You like helping. You like meeting people, socializing, hanging out, finding new hunting buddies, um, fundraising and, and just camaraderie. And it's all based on our own time our own dime type of thing like we do it <laughs> because we love it like you said and it's all volunteers so you know and we need we need chapters and like you said you're the only one in the state and you've got it's a big state so people are driving from all over the place to come test the dogs and with covid you know in the first few years which it's still is still there but like you said it's not as ramp it right now but a lot of people went out and purchased dogs so I know for us as far as for training like people are calling left and right hey I need my dog trained and all these dogs like we actually are hosting our test soon too March and we actually are doing a double test to help accommodate these dogs so it's it's really helpful to give back so it's awesome that your husband's doing that and you're able to help with the fundraising and and do your banquet and stuff so that's awesome as far as, um, like, you've, you started out with um, Milo, how did you guys end up acquiring Comet? Like, where, when did that kind of shift? So, have you had multiple dogs growing up before, like other breeds, and then you're like, okay, we want another one? Like, how did that all transpire? That kind of transpired through, like, just in the hunting scenario. Um, so, we do a lot of checker hunting and... Um, just getting a dog out and you're doing like anywhere from 15 to 20 miles, your dog will do 15 to 20 miles a day. Um, you notice that dog, dog gets tired. And so that's kind of where that second dog came into play. And we kind of thought about it and talked about it, but we wanted to get Milo through his utility testing was kind of our main plan on that. So we had contacted a breeder. We decided joining NAVDA, you kind of learn a little bit more about like breeding and stuff. So we decided we would do our homework this go round and we contacted our breeder and said, Hey, we're, I think I'm ready to take this plunge. And, <laughs> um, it just happened to work out that there was a cancellation and got the phone call and it was like, wait, this is too soon. Wait, I'm not ready for this. But you know, it actually worked out <laughs> out good because we got him in the spring rather than getting him in the fall after the utility test. So my daughter was able to stay home with him with those puppy, really bad puppy months, you know, and which was good. So it made it a little bit easier on the family. And that's just, it was it's been fun. I mean, they say, oh, get a second one. It'll make it easier. And I don't know that I believe that. <laughs> but to, to those wives out there that are listening, you know, your husband's like, oh, I'm bringing home this great puppy. It's going to be great. Like, oh, I feel your pain. Like, you're, you're going to be okay. You'll make it through it. <laughs> it just takes a minute. So, but yeah. Exactly. I know when we 
I mean, we have eight now. So once I, I tell people, once you go past three, it's like, okay, what's one more? And then, then I look and I'm like, oh my God, we have eight dogs. And they're kind of like, how, are, how is this even possible? Of course, we have seven short hairs and one like mutt that was acquired before I met Scott. I had him. So he kind of came with the package. But yeah, it's definitely challenging. But like you said, you're out hunting and realize there was a need for another dog because you guys are out in mountainous areas and putting a lot of miles on. So it's definitely like it, it was a necessity type of thing. Was it the right time? Maybe not, but you guys did the best and made it work. So that's awesome. Tell us uh, a little bit. So you kind of alluded to it as far as like where you guys go hunting, but maybe just talk about some of the trips you guys had this year like where you went, what states you were able to go to, and what birds you were after. Oh, man. Well, we do a little bit of everything. So um, it starts, we start early. So we start like, I want to say it's the end of end of August, beginning of September. We'll start with grouse just here locally and in Idaho. So we'll start with like roughed grouse um, and duskies. Uh, so that's kind of where we start. So, but we do, we're kind of in an area where we're good. We can hunt Nevada, Idaho, um, Utah, of course, itself, which is hard because it's a lot of private, but there is the forest where you get up into the grouse and whatnot available. Um, we went to, we did a Montana trip this year, um, which <laughs> we kind of <laughs> picked a bad year. Uh, we heard all these great stories about Montana and the sharp tail or like popcorn when you're walking through the fields. So we planned a trip and we went out there and got out there a little early before our friends did a little scouting. And we realized that mm, maybe this drought thing's a real thing. So we knew Utah was in a drought, but we didn't know how extreme it was in the Montana region as well. So it was a little bit harder this year up there, um, but we did have success. So, and it was great. Um, got comment on wild sharp tail and it's it was a good time so I'm excited to kind of wait and wait a few years and get back up there uh we had drawn uh sharp tail tags for Utah in Utah it's a a lottery tag to, for sharp tail um, oh okay so Mike and I had Mike and I both drawn, so um, the area is really limited, of course. So we went out to these some of these walk-in access areas, and after hunting a state where they're plentiful, and you kind of walk through an area where we're still trying to rehabilitate, they're working a lot out in the northern desert to try to like they're taking down cedars and they're trying to bring back the grasslands, of course. So we're still in that kind of that rehabilitation stage out here, but. We just weren't, we didn't fill our tags and we didn't really try because like we're like not seeing the numbers that we were wanting to. So we're like, mm, maybe it's just better to eat tag soup on this one and, you know, and make the drive. We'll go and hunt sharp tail in Idaho. So we did a lot of that. Um, and then from there, when shucker season opens, then it's like game on. So just about anywhere any state we can hike a huge mountain and go find some birds it's a good time we tried to get little comment on as many wild birds as we could this year um huns we did huns as well of course a lot of places where you hunt um sharp tail or checker you're going to run into huns so we did that and it was it was a good season um 
Awesome. You get mixed. Sounds like it. Mixed feelings on uh, what, how good the birds have done. Um, We saw good bird numbers in the areas we hunted. I mean, they weren't, some guys were saying, holy cow, it was amazing. And others were saying, we can't find birds. So I just think it's really getting out there and really doing the miles and the homework in order to find them. So, but I can't complain we our dogs saw birds and we had a great season yeah it sounds like it and you guys are fortunate i mean you're out there so you're close to everything you know when we talked prior to doing the podcast and i was like yeah well we're in north carolina so just to come out there you know is it's quite a haul for us so you're lucky that where you guys are you have so many places and access to things but what i thought was really interesting when we talked um, here in North Carolina, there's all kinds of public lands um, to go be able to hunt. Now, some of the stuff you do have to have special permits and tags and things like that. But as far as access to go, like, you know, for example, to go woodcock hunting, like most of the places where I've gone this year, you don't need special permission. You just go, you know, you have your hunting license, you take your dogs and follow the rules that are there. But, you know, when we talked, you were saying that it's not really that way out there. So that kind of blew my mind when we were when we were talking about that and I think it's it's cool that you guys were able to you know scout and then you know you had a little bit of a hard time in Montana but you like you said the dogs still were able to be worked and they were on birds so you know you did you met your goal at least for for the season the dogs got to work so I think that's really cool too um as far as you know hunting like what are you guys' goals are going to be for next year? You know, you, you got the young pup on some birds, but what is what are your, some of your goals and what are you guys trying to get after next year? Next year, we'll probably just continue to be another, like, play year. Where Milo's been through his utility, um, Comet's honoring. Um, he's just right now, he's, you know, he's going to break. He's going to chase those birds but that's good it's excitement you know get him excited he'll learn from it and I think next year we'll probably just kind of start to do a little bit more obedience and but just you know the they're going to learn the most from getting out there and doing that than they are like at a farm so that's probably just our biggest goal is just to get out there more and give them even more exposure than we did this year. Unfortunately, we have to work, you know, if we didn't have to work, we could hunt all the time, but, um, yeah. And then we'll plan on doing utility with him, um, maybe the following year. So we'll just kind of slowly work towards that. So that's just kind of our main goal is to just kind of let him work into it. And he's shown great potential. I'm, I'm not super worried about it. So we were really lucky with Milo backyard breed. And this time we went with a, you know, a good breeder and got some good genes in there. And you can definitely see a difference, but it'll be awesome. Just get out there and enjoy nature and go find some birds. No, that's awesome. Um, I think for a lot of people, you know, that don't maybe have access like you guys do to go to all these different places, to get their dogs just on wild birds. I think it's important, especially for the young dogs because they teach them so much. And um, some people it's really hard. So, you know, a lot of the times here, unfortunately with training dogs, we are using pen raised birds, but the second that dog goes home back with their client, it's like, okay, now get out and take your dog hunting. And they're like, oh, it's too young. It's too this. It's like, no, it's not. Just go, you know, as long as you have a pretty good recall on your dog, 
um, you know, to keep him or her safe and out of trouble, then go because you won't have that opportunity to do it again when they're young, you know. So time is of the essence, as people will say. But as far as um, I always like to ask the people that I have on here just to give if they have any like words of wisdom or advice for new people coming into NAVDA or new puppy people, like as far as learning from, you know, your own mistakes or whatever, do you have any good tips for anybody new coming in and kind of where they should, should start and, um, you know, as far as that goes? Definitely like, do like we did reach out to NAVDA, reach out to there's, if you don't have like particularly even a paper dog, you know, to test and stuff, you have to have all your papers in order. But like, even just if you've got that dog and you're wanting to get out there and do the conservation and get out there and be in nature and work your dog, still reach out. Like we're, you're still welcome at our training days and ask questions. You live with your dog 24 seven and at home, you're training him for just basic obedience. So you know how that dog's going to be most receptive. Like, so there's all these different ways to get to the same end game. And that's probably the thing I tell people the most at club days is like, you know, your pup, like here's 12 different ways to get to this outcome, pick and choose and maybe even mix in order to get your dog to understand what you're conveying to him. And, you know, just put the work in. If you put the work in, it's definitely going to work out in your benefit. So that's probably the number one advice and just try to make it through the first year of puppies. <laughs> that's the other really big one. So, yeah, no, I think that's important to mention. And I don't know if we've mentioned it before, but we may have on some of the other ones. I can't remember now, but it's important that you bring up the point of, you know, it, it, there's 12 different ways to do one thing, pick what works for you and your dog. You know, you like said, you live with the dog, you know, the dog, you know, their temperament, how they're going to behave when they're, how they're going to react to certain types of pressure, things like that. So, um, I think that's really important for new people because you get to training day and I'm sure you experienced this. I know I did. Um, you know, let's see, almost, almost 10 years ago now. Um, and you get to training day and you pull up and fortunately for us, it's in our front yard, literally on our property. So you go out the front door and get there and everybody pulls up in these trucks and, um, they've got all these dogs and you're like, okay, now what? And it's like, it can be really overwhelming to new people. And, um, especially if you have a big chapter, a big club with a lot of people and, you know, you're new and have no idea what to do. And it's overwhelming and can be like, you know, you could be afraid to ask the questions of, you know, I need help with this. But the big thing too, is don't be afraid to ask someone, you know, like you said, there's more than one way to do, do something. So, you know, if this isn't working for your dog, then try a different method. Just use what works for you. I think because a lot of people will try to mimic what they see. And some things you'll see at training day will be really good and some things won't be so good so yeah try to stick with you know what's gonna work for you and your dog I think that's really good advice especially to newbies because they're seeing all kinds of things and um it it can be challenging to kind of try to figure out the pieces and and um and do all that so I think that's really important um 
Well, I think that about wraps it up. Can you think of anything? I, I like to end too also on any like funny stories that happened to you guys this year while hunting or any, any um, like just funny story that you want to share. Let's see. Maybe. So my first sharp tail, we were in Idaho hunting and, you know, we've got, we didn't have Comet at the time. We just had Milo and so I'd been with Mike a couple times on a couple of sharp tail hunts. So I knew the area and here we go. So I've got the gun in hand and I'm, we're walking through the field and we know we're, we know we can tell from the dog. Yeah, we're on birds. This is going to happen. And so of course, here go the sharp tail. So I, I was lucky. I had a really good shot straight away. Nailed it. Well, of course, at the same time, Mike's on the other side of me. He's shooting, watching the dog. And I was excited, you know, because first sharp tail. And so I watched it go down and he's like, there's more. And I was just, I'm like, I don't care. I got my sharp tail. I'm good, you know. <laughs> so um, he comes, he gathers himself, you know. And I said, did you hit anything? He's all, no. And I'm all, well, let's go get my bird. And he's like, are you sure you hit it? And I'm all, yeah, babe, I hit it. So we walk <laughs> over to the ledge. It was pretty cool, though, because, you know, here's my proud moment. No, babe, I actually got it, and he's thinking you didn't get it, you know. So we walk over kind of the edge of this drop-off and look down over, and there it is laying down there. So Milo went down, sent him down. He came back up with it. You know, it was pretty awesome. It was good to be able to say, see, I told you I got it. Like, told, told you so. So here he was. He <laughs> <laughs> yep, he'd been shooting too, and he didn't even hit anything. So it was a great day. So I'll I'll take that as a win. But any day in the field's a good day. So that's kind of how I see it. And just get out in there, enjoy it. Like get out and put some miles on. Yeah, I think so. This year, you know, during training, I've hit a few birds. A few I can count maybe on one hand. It's not easy, and I've been shooting for a while. Um, it it's hard. Um, I've been duck hunting. I've been um, upland hunting. It's it's not easy. And this year we went to Maine grouse hunting from where I'm from. And, you know, I was hell determined to get a bird because we went out. I don't know. We were there for about 10 days and we definitely put in the miles and we saw a bunch of birds and it came down literally to the last hour um on the last day we were there and it was so challenging and when I finally got the bird I was like oh my god thank god because it's just like it, it's a, almost a relief <laughs> like I finally got one after I've been trying yeah. so long but you know I think to that <laughs> point people you know don't get frustrated because you will it'll eventually happen it's just like you got to put the work into it and then the the reward and payoff is is like no other. I, I try to tell people and describe like the feeling of your dog that you've worked with and trained going and retrieving a bird for you after you've been working so hard, you know, I'm sure you felt that when Milo went and got your, your, or your sharp tail, um, over that little cliff for you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's great to see all that training pay off. And, and that's probably one other thing too, with like new people, if they can get out and see like, and be able to watch a finished dog, like you can be like, Oh, like we never, I never thought we could train Milo to be a utility dog. It was just like, no, that's so awesome. We'll never do that. But it's, <laughs> it's attainable and it's fun once you actually get to get out in the field and see it and see it all come together. It's amazing to watch them work. So 
Okay, I have one last question because as we were talking, I was like, you know, I have no clue what the heck she's talking about. Let me ask her real quick before we before we stop. But what the heck is a dusky? <laughs> oh, so like a, a blue grouse. <laughs> a blue so grouse. We call them, okay. We call them duskies, a blue grouse. Yeah. Forest, so forest grouse, there's a rough and there's a blues, or we call them duskies as well. So, okay. yeah. So Okay. So I was, I thought maybe, but I had no clue. So for us, we, in Maine, we have um, rough grouse as well but in Maine as Mainers say they're not called that and there's just a whole debate with my parents this year my mom when we went up there she's (laughs) like are you going partridge hunting and I'm like what and of course I'm from there so I don't really have the accent anymore and I'm like partridge like what are you talking about yeah we're going grouse hunting she's like no partridge and I'm like oh my god so it was this whole debacle while we were up there and I'm like oh my god it's the same freaking thing but Mainers don't call them grouse they call them those and I'm like oh my god so it was like the laughing joke up there um with my brother because he 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 came with us as well and he's typical Mainer with the dropping of the r's and everything and so everybody that we went with was from not from Maine, so they thought it was hilarious, and I'm like, oh my god, okay, all right, so now that we got that covered, <laughs> now I know, now I know what a dusky <laughs> is, so thank you for sharing that to all the That's listeners funny. that might be thinking uh, the same thing as me, <laughs> what like, is she talking about? Like, what is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> if you said partridge to me, I'd be like, so you're going for, like, Hans? Like, wh- what are you going for? So... <laughs> Hungarian partridge is what you know like so it'd be like totally different for me I'd be like what (laughs) yeah see so we I'm glad we got that let's just call them by the regular name but it's not the same you gotta you gotta call them by the nickname I guess we'll say (laughs) you just may have to do some explaining in the background (laughs) all (laughs) righty well Christy um it's been so nice having you on is there any last tips you have to share with our listeners be patient and don't be afraid to take a step back if you get to a point in training and you're like, okay, something's not jiving right. Like, just take a step back and try to, you know, see where you've maybe had a miscommunication with your pup. Don't don't give up and keep after it. That's the best part. You're going to have a good relationship with that dog and it'll all pay off in the end. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you guys for listening. Have a great night. Thanks. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance 
Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.